welcome to another edition of Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. This is a movie Monday instead of a meathead Monday because today we are talking about my favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah, I said it. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. My favorite entry into the Star Wars universe. With me today, I have Nick Grimm, radio personality from 101.9 The Keg. Hello, Nick. Howdy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. And rejoining me here today for the Star Wars pods is my brother, Raj. Raj, how are you? Good. Thanks for letting me out of the doghouse. Glad to be back. We're in the doghouse. You didn't want to watch Solo. (laughs) I had to work. I had a real job. Uh, I also have a real job. (laughs) How are you here? I don't know. My job's only half real. Oh, good. That's true. He basically does this for a job, but people actually pay him for it. So, you know. Bam <laughs> ish. <laughs> well, and that's radio in a nutshell. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love radio. But today we are going to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And this takes place between the events of episode. Well, it takes place between the events of episode three and episode four, but it's also between Solo and Episode 4, and really, more accurately, it's directly before Episode 4. I mean, directly before Episode 4. Also during Rebels. Oh, there you go. So if you're a fan of the Rebels series, happens during Rebels. Sort Um, of-ish. It's like right... It's like right after Rebels? So it's right after Rebels, right before Episode 4. Yes. Yes. Chronologically. Yes. Speaking. This is why we don't include the cartoons and things. I try and give them for bigger context. Also, if you've seen Rebels, a lot of these, like, Saga Rera is in that, so that makes a little bit more sense. He's not just like, hey, where'd this robot guy come from? Forrest Whitaker. What happened? (laughs) Aging poorly, bro. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Borgala! Lies! Uh, it's a trap. <laughs> so, hey, that's not your line. You saw. <laughs> All right, that belongs to Admiral Akbar. Um, so let, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what happens in the movie, a.k.a. a synopsis. And then we will talk about all the things we love about Rogue One. And if any of you say you don't like Rogue One or anything about it, then uh, you can go. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am open to constructive compliments. Uh, (laughs) So, basically, the movie opens up, and this is the first movie without a crawl, Mm -hmm. which is important Mm -hmm. for some reason. I don't know why, but people were mad about it. Uh, I don't care, personally. But, anyway. Yeah, literally, my first note was... I don't miss the crawl. I don't. It's not. Let's just like get to it. it. It was like nice. I don't. The crawl seems unnecessary, frankly. Yeah. I get that it's iconic, but what are we really learning? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like eh. The only thing I learned from the crawl was that Attack of the Clones was ten years after Phantom Menace, which which you would not have known. I would not have known. I would have been like, wait, so is Anakin fifteen now? Yeah. How old I don't everybody know. Twenty seven. It's like yeah. it's, wow. We've yeah. been looking for... Has, has anybody else had the experience where you start watching the movie and you realize that you weren't reading The Crawl, so you rewind to to reread it because it's like, oh, I'm not really paying attention. They're just letting the words... I have, and I didn't gain anything from it, so... Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't need to read The Crawl. Same. So now it's just like, yeah, thanks for not making <laughs> us go through that. Um, all right, so synopsis. 
We start with uh, Galen Urso and his family hiding on the planet Lamu, and when they are tracked down by Imperial uh, crony uh, bureaucrat Orson Krennic, who is apparently instrumental in the building of the Death Star, as was Galen Urso. And they have a problem. They need Galen Urso to come back and help them fix the problem so they can build the Death Star. Meanwhile, Lyra, Galen's wife, bit of a troublemaker, uh, gets shot trying to resist them kidnapping them. And Jin runs off and hides in a hole, basically, until Sagarera comes and gets her. Apparently, they knew this was coming, and so they had a contingency plan in place to uh, get the daughter out. Uh, so we basically fast forward 13 years to a Imperial pilot who has defected. And he has a message from Galen that he's trying to get to Saw Gerrera, who obviously was friends with Galen at some point because they trusted their daughter to him. So, you know, uh, Saw is now on Jeddah, which is important because of the Kyber crystals at its heart mm-hmm. and also a uh, famous holy city to the Jedi. So uh, Saw Gerrera is there and Bodhi Rock, the pilot, uh, is bringing a message from Galen to Sagrera. Meanwhile, you also have Cassian Endor who uh, breaks Jin out of jail, which apparently, or a labor camp. Apparently she's had a rough go of it since being abandoned by her parents at a young age. That's, you know, shocking that that didn't go well. Um, And basically the message from we learn the message from uh, Galen is telling him that he laid a trap within the Death Star, which I found very satisfying because it explains like the one major plot flaw from A New Hope. Um, so we'll get more to that in a little bit. But uh, so that's what the that's the uh, message from Galen to Sagarera, and he's trying to get that to the rebels so that they can you know take advantage of said flaw that he built into the Death Star. Uh, meanwhile, Jin and Cassian and my maybe my favorite droid, K2SO, love K2SO, um, travel to Jeddah to go find Saw Gerrera and um, try and convince Saw to help out the rebels because he's apparently a bit of an extremist. Shocking. Um, and meanwhile, they run into a bunch of stormtroopers and a couple dudes, Chirrut. I don't know how to say it. Chirrut Imwe, I think, mm-hmm. and his friend Baze Mulbis, who used to be Guardians of the Wills, which are now just troublemakers on uh, Jetta. So you have this whole scene where basically everybody gets arrested by Saw's men, and Jin goes to Saw, Guerrera, and he thinks that's a trap as well, because that's apparently who he is as a person now. And they decide there she sees the video she decides to go you know track down her father and try and get the plans for the death star so they can find the uh find the flaw in it those plans are on scarif which is a imperial installation apparently and meanwhile the death star sees its first action and blows up jetta they get off the planet except for saw Guerrero, who decides to just die there why couldn't Saw come with him? 
Yeah. That was that weird? Was, that was weird. He's just like, I'm done living now? Yeah, he gave up. All right. He was having some hard trouble breathing. He had like C- <laughs> CPD. COPD. COPD. There it is. <laughs> yeah, he had, the, he had the, the mask and he had the like the peg legs and like listen he was having a tough go of things but apparently once he was like okay you guys can take over now his spirit was broken and he just you know peaced out um so they blow up jenna grand moff tarkin who not dead Mm-mm. nope i the actor's dead that's a that's a little bit of an inside joke because i thought i was very confused when grand moff tarkin shows up on screen and i was like that actor has to be dead. He was super old at A New Hope. No way he's alive. And then I found out that he, uh, yeah, CGI, which yeah. could. Just... Although it was, it was actually a really interesting combination of a live actor. Yes. In the who's actually in the room and they and basically they just painted, painted the face yeah. on. Yeah. Which sounds creepier. It sounds much more Hannibal Lecter than it actually was. But you know. I mean, is it? Does it? It might have been very Hannibal Lecter. We don't know. We weren't there. <laughs> We were not there for the uh, production. This movie got a lot darker. Uh, <laughs> it is probably the darkest Star Wars movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, close. It's definitely it's definitely the most violent. Yeah. Um, but so they, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin basically tries to take over the Death Star, which Krennic freaks out about and goes to see Vader and be like, "It's my Death Star!" <laughs> um, and Vader uh, force chokes him and was like, "Hey, shh, quiet." Um, and then, basically, they get the plan. Uh, they go back to the rebel base. Jin and Cassian and K two S O and Baze and Chirrut. Um, and they try and convince them to, hey, let's go steal these plans. Let's go save the world. And the rebels are like, mm, I don't know. We're pretty scared. And Jin's like, Well, I'm going anyway. So they go. Uh, and once they get there. The rebels are like, oh, maybe we should go help them. Yeah, like, no kidding, guys. <laughs> Idiots. Um, and so, although Jimmy Smith makes another appearance, just cashing those Star Wars checks. Mm-hmm. Love Jimmy Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get to Scarif, where the plans for the Death Star are. There's a big battle. Uh, Jin and Cassian find the plans. They It's a whole big thing to get the shield that's covering the planet down so they can transmit the plans. They transmit the plans just as the Death Star shows up, blows up uh, Scarif, but the plans get to the Rebels, who have finally shown up. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, And then probably the coolest scene in the movie as the plans get offloaded to a little escape cruiser Darth Vader and his crew chase him down, or chasing him down, and he basically just slaughters a boatload of of rebel. I don't know what are they pilots? Either they're just staffers on the ship, basically Dude, crew, yeah. <laughs> crew, crew. That's the word I was looking for, uh, and uh, just barely misses out on getting the plans, and that leads us to the. Handing off of the plans to Princess Leia, which leads us directly into Episode Four: A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? I got a little sideways there in the middle, but no, I think we got it. No, I think it's pretty good. much it. All right, so let's start off. I mentioned this earlier. I'll start off with what we liked or what I liked about Rogue One. First of all, it's the best made Star Wars movie, even if it's not your favorite. Just from a technical movie-making standpoint, 
from visuals to acting to story, I think from beginning to end, it's the best made Star Wars movie. Thoughts? I agree with that. I feel like, was there a lot of practical effects in this? Because it feels like there were, there unless were. it was all CG. The practical effects make a huge difference. And if so. it wasn't all practical effects, the fact that you can't tell the difference is incredible. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what I care about, right? I don't actually care if it's practical effects versus CG. Yeah. I want it to feel like practical effects. Yeah, there, there's a scene in the Battle of Scarif where there's the they're the death troopers, right? The ones in black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're and like the special forces yeah, of stormtroopers. They're the ones that actually don't miss. There's yes. a platoon of <laughs> there's a platoon of them jumping out of a vehicle, and and I literally thought in that moment I was like, I think there's a person inside that shoot or that suit because it's just like the way that they landed, and, and it seemed to have like real human physics to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't like 100 percent sure, and and I liked that. That it was like whatever you did there, it it got it me to believe yes. it. And even watching with a critical eye, I can't tell the difference. Right, because like in the prequels, you can always tell like there's no people in those suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's bothersome. Yeah. Right. It, I think it takes away from the movie, takes away from the stakes of the war. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In this, they're all people, or at least they it all seems feel like, like people. Yeah, if, right. Yeah. If it's not, it's incredibly well done. And I think that's why. I mentioned this is the most violent movie of the Star Wars movies. It might not actually be in terms yeah. of death count, but it feels like it because there's it feels like there's actual stakes. Yeah, it's a lot more right? visceral when and also action. all of your heroes die. So that all yeah. <laughs> yeah. even when the soldiers get hit, just the stormtroopers, like yeah. you can feel that too. Like it looks like a person. It looks got like hit an actual contact, yeah. right? And yeah. not just like this CGI line hit this CGI person and this CGI person fell down. Yeah. Like it feels like there's actual physical contact being yeah. made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree. The the effects of it are very appealing. Also, for my money, one of the cool coolest just visual scenes in a Star Wars movie is where they use the battering ram. Mm-hmm. To push the two star destroyers into each other and then yeah. crashes oh, into the shield. So cool. Visually, that is just a gorgeous scene. That yeah, yeah, and just really, really appealing. Yeah, um, I would put that and in the Last Jedi where she hyper jumps into the star destroyer or the the whatever the ship is that oh. is chasing mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. That's also just like a visually really beautiful scene. Yeah. Those are two of the more, like, I get that that has to be CGI, mm-hmm. but especially in Rogue One, that looks 100% real. It lo- yeah. honestly looked like, it reminded me, like, it, it, when you, like, drop a Lego block or something, like a big Lego mm-hmm. thing off of a table or something, mm-hmm. and you just see these pieces just coming apart and shit. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. And I was like, I've seen that happen. They did yeah. a very good job getting the physics and the weight of all of these objects believable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Even with even with uh, Jetta when they attack the the holy city and the debris actually floats up into space off the planet and and it's a really beautiful scene visually yes but it, but it also makes you think like wow how much power how great must have the explosion been to get the debris to go up into the atmosphere to right. actually leave gravity it just breaks through gravity and into, yeah. yeah and and because it it actually floats up near the Death Star then the image of, of like the destructive power of this thing is so obvious where the debris of it's just just almost hitting the Death Star sure um, all that just yeah really really well executed. Yeah, so I think, um, like I said, just from for my money, from my standpoint, I just love the 
I just think it's the best made Star Wars movie from from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I would agree. Um, I think that for me, the only ones that stand even close in comparison are I think A New Hope for what it was in its time um, and and how groundbreaking everything in that movie was. Uh, I think. It, you know, kind of adjusted for inflation, sort of. I, I would Within argue. the context of what was capable in a movie at that point yeah. versus what yeah. it did. And launching an entire franchise and and making stars out of people who were relatively unknown at the time and, you know, all of those things. It, I think A New Hope holds up well. I also thought that uh, even though there's a few more problems with uh, The Force Awakens, um, that J.J. Abrams did did the next best job of making a, a modern Star Wars movie with what's capable now, and uh, you know, and doing combining those practical effects and CG. Um, but I I think that Gareth Edwards did better still. So I would agree with you in that. I think what I like about Force Awakens and Force Awakens is number two for me, just in terms of. The actual, like the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. For the Force Awakens looks real, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whether it's the downed star destroyers on planets, and mm-hmm. you know, um, I've brought that up like three times. I love those <laughs> for whatever. Like it just feels, yeah. it feels real, right? If the Empire has fallen, yeah, there's going to be remnants, yeah. right? Yeah. There's going to be. Whether it's the Star Destroyers or, or whatever. Go ahead. Uh, quick side note. Yeah. That Star Destroyer on Jeddah, have you played Battlefront? I haven't. There's a multiplayer level where you see, you're see you on that planet during that battle and you see the Star oh, Destroyer that's super actually cool. land. It's nice. in the background. It's that's nice. super cool. Um, but yeah, it feels, it feels like there was a war. It feels mm-hmm. like there was this conflict and that there's, you know, I like that there's an economy basically on Jeddah where you've got these scrappers that are living off of the remnants of these ships and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was a really cool. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was just really cool visually. Jakku. Jakku. Yeah, yeah, I Jakku. think I said I meant Jakku. Yeah. yeah. Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah on Jakku where yeah. uh, where Ray is living and scrapping and and whatever. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think so. For just the look of everything, I would mm-hmm. put Force Awakens pretty close, mm-hmm. but Rogue One's just a better movie. Yeah, when you think about story and acting and yeah, when you put it all together, everything together, mm-hmm. I think Rogue One edges out. But I, I if would you just al- take it in a vacuum, right? Yeah. I would. I would still argue that that A New Hope stands up really, really well in comparison. Um, and this is this is one of my things with as we get into five and six and such. Um, and everybody who likes Empire a lot more. One of my things is that none of that exists without how incredibly well uh, A New Hope did. And I feel like this is the n- either slightly better or the next best movie and in the context. Do you guys think Rogue One is better because of the context of the other movies? Or do you think it would be pretty solid without... Say if it was your first Star Wars movie you ever saw. Mm-hmm. Do you think a person who saw that as the first one would appreciate it as much as us who saw all the other ones before that? So I I thoughts? think that 90% of this movie would still hold up. And and one of the reasons I, I say that is because uh, we've, we've talked a little bit on the podcast so far about how, uh, you know, Star Wars might kind of be World War II in space. Mm-hmm. And... And there are several World War II movies in different scenarios, uh, you know, different battles, different uh, even areas of the world that are good standalones. And it doesn't really matter if you can remember 
um, you know, the exact year, Hitler's rise to power, all of that. But, you know, for example, The Imitation Game uh, is, is a great movie. It's about the code breakers in Britain in World War II. Um, it's a great movie by itself. You don't really need to know the, the context. Uh, but then you also have Saving Private Ryan, which is also an incredible movie, totally different context, and, and works by itself as well. I think 90% of Rogue One does that. Um, the little bits and pieces that it are obvious fan service and also just direct lead-ins to uh, episode four um, are are important and, and really do rely, and, and they land a lot heavier. So seeing Leia, even seeing Grand Moff Tarkin uh, and Vader's role in this movie um, are all good and important, uh, but, but they land a bunch heavier because of their relationship to the rest of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think there's... Uh, specifically, Leia and Grand Moff Tarkin, I think you really, the context of who they are really makes those scenes more powerful. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I think would be a must is just a little more context on who Vader is Yeah. in terms of making it a standalone movie. Aside from that, though, it's just a really compelling movie, I think, in general, Yeah. because they do a pretty good job of, okay, this entity is building a super weapon. There's this other entity that is fighting against this and they are trying to prevent the super weapon from being built or trying to destroy it once they realize it is built. Yeah. Which is not all that different from, say, the first Captain America movie where it's like, hey, the Nazis are being bad and they're trying to, you know, the Tesseract or whatever, you know. Yeah, like I don't know what I don't know what a Tesseract is outside of, you know, the. I, I go into that movie not knowing like I didn't read any of the comic books or even so. really caring yeah but they do enough job of like hey this is a thing that's important and it's powerful so uh, now we're gonna do this other stuff yeah and I think Rogue One does a pretty good job I think again like Raj said I think there's certain things that hit a lot harder within the context of the franchise but I think you could watch this movie alone and just be like, hey, that's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's called the MacGuffin, by the way, in storytelling. It's like, what's the football that they're trying to get? And it, and it could be anything. It doesn't really matter. It could be nuclear codes. It could be uh, you know, plans to the Death Star. Um, it could be the Tesseract, whatever it is. But there's a really powerful MacGuffin in this movie that it's like everybody ends up chasing and you know you have that in heist movies you have that in, in action movies and they're all they you have to be compelled by I believe this is important enough for them to risk everything to get and they do a great job of this and in this movie regardless of the context of the broader Star Wars universe so one of the other things that I like about this movie is everybody dies Mm-hmm. Yes, and that sounds weird at first, but obviously you both agree, so you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, because of its con, because of its place within the chronology of the of the storyline, everybody had to die, right? Yes, we've exactly. seen a new hope. Mm-hmm. We don't see any of these characters, and there's again. Oh, right. Hardly the only people again. that we see again are Grand Moff Tarkin, um, Leia, and and Darth Vader, basically. Mon Mothma uh, and Mon Mothma yeah. uh, and. Yeah, Jimmy Smith was before, so we don't see Jimmy Smith again. Right. At least not yet. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. Um, One can hope. I get it. Zombie Smiths. <laughs> Jimmy Smith and Samuel L. Jackson at nine. We're holding out for it. They'll be ancient by then, but, you know. Jimmy Smith was Snoke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's possible of aging that poorly. But, <laughs> um, but, yeah, within the context of the story, 
everyone had to die. Everybody you like has to die, right? And I was afraid because it's a Star Wars movie, because it's a Disney franchise, that they weren't going to do it. Yeah. And you absolutely have to. I think there were, I don't remember, I think think Tony Gilroy and Gareth Edwards gave quotes at one point that were saying, we just kept... We kept it in there because we thought everybody needed to die, mm-hmm. and we kept waiting for Disney to tell us you couldn't have everyone die, and they never told us we couldn't have everyone die, so that's what the movie was. Yeah. I heard that they also had a contingency. So if Disney did say no, they had a way to keep them alive but not interfere. Active. Yeah, yeah, not active. Which I think is a harder sell, and it's yeah. harder to believe. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the flaws with the Marvel stuff, right, is... You've got some of the conflicts where only one or two superheroes are involved, and then you have these other ones where everybody's there. And it's like, well, if it's really that big of a deal, like, why isn't Captain Marvel here? Or mm-hmm. And they try and explain it cause with Captain Marvel because she's doing stuff all over the universe. But it's like, well, why couldn't the other ones that are, like, domestically based come and help out here, you know? Yeah. It's like, why is this just an Iron Man problem right now? Yeah. And stuff like that where... They that if they had to implement a contingency plan, I have a hard time believing they wouldn't have run into that same, you know, difficulty of suspending disbelief in that situation. Yeah. Um, but and and the reason I like it, I don't know if, if this ties in with you as well, but it it shows that there's actual stakes. I think you know I enjoyed this movie immensely more after watching the prequels because. Uh, you know, like we talked about the practical effects, real bodies in suits, and so when people get hit, they're actually people are getting hit, right? As opposed to just bits of you know computer data, and uh, and you know for these characters that we spent a whole movie learning to care about, for them to die at the end and to die in a fairly brutal way, uh, it, a lot of them you know pretty sad, brutal deaths. Um, it, it's emotionally uh, involving for for the audience, and it's and that's great. I mean, you, that's why we go to movies is to is to be involved and to be changed and challenged and, and affected by them, as opposed to just like, oh, that was a spectacle. Yeah, it was okay to watch. I think I was crying when I saw that in theater, from when the first person died all the way up until uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the very end after Leia. I bowled more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate and well I two of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie are for me at least when uh Chirrut and Baze die yeah. mm-hmm. in back to back and then when um uh when Jin and Cassian die mm-hmm. on the beach mm-hmm. those are just gut wrenching yeah. but you need a little bit of that right mm-hmm. because it's like a reminder hey this is a war mm-hmm. right these people mm-hmm. are sacrificing everything for what they believe is right yeah and obviously you know it appears Luke is dead after The Last Jedi, but you have all these movies where Luke survives, right? You have all these movies where Leia survives. It, uh, presumably, she dies in nine and somehow, mm. you know, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. But, you know, just now you have Han Solo being killed, but he survived for all this time as well. Mm-hmm. Somehow. In all of the, yeah. <laughs> he should have died first. Yeah, he's... Just with what he did. With his... Well, just his general, like, recklessness. Yeah. Right? So you have all of these people that we care about just survive. Mm-hmm. And so it brought a... 
a gravitas to the actual absolutely mm-hmm. like yeah. rebellion, right? Yeah. And, and that I didn't think existed before. Um, obviously, I mentioned this earlier. It closes the one major plot hole in the original trilogy, mm-hmm. which is like, why can you just shoot a vent and the entire station blows up? Yeah, it maybe doesn't explain that more or less same flaw in Return of the Jedi, but it at least helps us in A New Hope. That wasn't the same flaw, I didn't think. No, it wasn't. No, they just flew to the core at that point. They right, they right flew to, to the actual core because it was open still. It wasn't yeah. a finished product. Yeah. So as soon as the shield guarding the... Uh, Death Star, the unfinished Death Star was down, you just fly right into the core. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get maybe you built inside out, like maybe not a gr- great design plan still. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe like, okay, let's cover the core a little bit and build out. You know, I'm not obviously the, uh, you know, it took them, what, 15 years to build this Death Star. Obviously the architects on payroll for the Empire, not incredible. <laughs> um, but it wasn't the same flaw for well, and you don't, Jedi. You don't have the same genius Galen Erso working for you either. Which right. Is and, and let's be honest, Krennic is kind of a tool. So I, he probably... Krennic is such a tool. He's probably, <laughs> I was not sad when Krennic died. <laughs> but he, which is actually another great feature of the movie as well. I, I think there are a couple of things there that they did really well where it, um, they, you really hate Krennic. You really... Uh, I, I was impressed with how just devious... Um, Grand Moff Tarkin was because you know you see him in A New Hope and and he's he's just a big bad and uh, and to see that he rose to power basically climbing over Krennic's body um, you know that's really satisfying another thing that you know you're talking about how heartbreaking Jin uh, and Cassian's death were one thing that I really really loved is that so they're at odds for most of the movie sure uh, he he thinks that she's not principled and and out for herself and she is and and she thinks uh the the he obviously you know he's just this mindless tool following of, orders yeah. trying to kill her dad all that stuff and then they're they're literally embracing at the mo- end of the movie where they're dying but they also avoided the trap of them kissing at the mm-hmm. end you know and yeah. so they walked that line they kept tension in that relationship and in in the movie and uh, and didn't just insult us as fans like, there's just so many things about this movie that's just so done so incredibly well and i think that that one thing is such a huge picture of that yeah i would agree and i i really just enjoyed um i really just enjoyed uh, actually i wanted to get to this first so there is a I don't know if they actually filmed it or not, but there was an alternate way that Krennic dies where they actually find a way that he survives the explosion and makes his way back to um, the Empire and Darth Vader's there waiting for him and Darth Vader just murders him because of his um, his incompetence, basically. I'd watch that. I would, too. Like, it's like, <laughs> I, would so have been, I would have been here for that. Like, that sounds really, really satisfying. Um, but they ultimately decided that it was more practical that he just died on the planet. Yeah. Um, but I would not have been upset about the ultimate. No, I would have been... I'm okay with him not having a very dramatic death either, though. I am, too. It's, it. it's just like, you're just some imperial just tool. Dude. Yeah. Like, and you should die unceremoniously just... Right. Uh, just as part of... Uh, Basically, basically, just a, a casualty of the situation. Yeah, um, and actually, that that. But it would have also been cool to see like Vader slice his head off. Like, <laughs> yeah. sure. I wouldn't have been mad about it. <laughs> that that hit me differently this time watching the movie, where I didn't really think about the fact that the Empire was blowing up 
one of their own bases with a lot of their own people yes. still mm-hmm. there. Just not even trying to evacuate nothing. Just, yeah. Nope. And their black ops troops are still there, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, a lot of, of, of their people were still there. And not also, just a lot of their people, all of their, their, like, data. their data files yeah. and everything. So I don't know if they had that also stored somewhere Back else somewhere. or something. Like, is it on the cloud? Like, I don't know what's... <laughs> but the thing I like about that is that it shows their ruthlessness that uh, to squish the rebellion right there and and also protect the the plans of the death star like the amount of losses that they're willing to take in order to become the galactic superpower completely unchallenged it just shows how maniacal they are and it really fits with the character and and uh, evil that we know of vader and the emperor um, that definitely weren't set up as well in the prequels but you know this movie by comparison feels like a Star Wars movie it feels like the same characters the same universe that we knew uh, and even the same kinds of effects and those types of yeah. things uh, that it really it you know, we, it feels like we turned a corner into oh we're in real Star Wars now as opposed to whatever the heck the rest of the <laughs> stuff was um, one of the things that struck me about the way uh, just the the importance that they put on how uh, of the Death Star, right? Mm-hmm. So they want to keep it a secret as much as possible. They call Je- uh, they call Jetta a mining accident. Yeah, they call Vader actually says words. There is no Death Star. Yes, they want to keep this thing under wraps, and and it it really plays in well to uh, Episode Four where. They're talking about in in one of the opening scenes where Vader's in the room with all the generals or, or whatever and and admirals I don't know what they are mm-hmm. uh, imperial people and one of the imperial guys that I think ends up getting force choked you know talks about you know this station is now the ultimate power in the universe it they were willing to sacrifice everything because of how important they thought the Death Star was, right? Mm-hmm. Including even, their own people and their own base. They didn't even disband the Senate or whatever until after the Death Star was finished. Isn't that a line? Yeah. In episode it's like, like yeah. alright, it's done now. They were like, you can't disband the Senate. How are you going to keep the other systems in control? And they're like, fear of the Death Star will keep the systems in control along with the local governors or whatever. But, yeah, you're right. They, they waited to disband the Senate until they had this ultimate weapon they believe it's the ultimate power in the universe. They, you know, they, everyone but Vader does at least. And, uh, and they, you see that in this, in Rogue One, because of just, like you said, the lengths they're willing to go to protect it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really, a more subtle, but a very interesting tie in to, uh, to episode four. Yeah. I, I will say I got a little tossed around on on the, the role of the Senate, and maybe I haven't done enough of the reading of the, the other materials because uh, it was interesting to me that Mon Motha, her justification of wanting to find Galen Erso was to drag him before the Senate to testify about the Death Star. And it's like, oh, I was... Uh, I didn't realize from certainly the end of, of uh, you know, Revenge of the Sith that the Senate still had any relevance whatsoever, um, that uh, could they even do anything against Palpatine at this point? Like, what, why would any, uh, why would the Senate even matter uh, in this? And, and also, how complicit they, I mean, it was like, they're building a giant Death Star under their noses and, and the, you know, like, nobody's paying attention. Everybody's asleep at the wheel 
and in the Senate. And um, I don't know. I, I just thought that it was interesting they were even still talking about them. But I guess your point of waiting to disband them until after the Death Star was complete and known, um, that makes a little more sense. I, I also feel like I have some trouble going into the, uh, was it, is it seven or eight? It's seven, right? Where, where they destroyed the planets. Um, that's, uh, oh yeah. It's, it, they're used, they use circular base to uh, destroy the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm, I guess I'm a little confused as to why that's even necessary after all this structure has been disbanded. And I mean, I think the resistance had been kind of, or not the resistance, but the Republic had kind of been built up again. And so I think this was just the first order destroying the new Republic yeah. in, mm-hmm. in well, episode seven. Which I will say, you know, in defense of, of an, I think A New Hope started this really well, where it's like... Those things are interesting, but you don't have to care to enjoy the movie. Like, you know, it's like you might hear, oh, the Senate, whatever. And, but then it's like you don't have to go do hours of research to try to figure out what all the geopolitical nonsense of this is at, to enjoy the fact that I can understand the, the plot and pacing of this movie without having to know all of those details. Yeah, I, I didn't really get too far into the weeds on the Senate part with... Um with Mon Mothma in this movie, I just kind of felt like, oh, she's a politician. She wants to deal with things politically, and that's a contrast to uh, I forget the guy's name, the douchey rebel general that wants Cassian to kill Draven. Draven, Draven yeah. yeah. Uh, I had to look, look that up. Yeah, I, they don't say his name for three quarters of the movie, <laughs> so I'm not sure if this could have something to do with it. But in Rebels, uh-huh. Mon Mothma is. She's already leading the rebellion, like well into there, and this sure. rebels takes place before this or close. It's to like ten ish, twelve, thirteen ish years after six is when it starts. After three, after three. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Mon Mothma is already kind of sure. a player there. So maybe she's still into the Senate to try to kind of weed out more people. Maybe she learned more stuff from her spies. Hmm. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Because there is a system there established. There is like a rebellion system already kind of being established at that point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah. that's that's definitely possible as well. Um, like I said, I thought her purpose there was just more to be like, hey, this is the reasonable, humane way to deal with some orderly way. And yeah. this is the and then uh, Draven was, hey, this is the way things are handled in war. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I think the contrast was more important than the actual machinations of sure. of what the uh, Senate's role was at this point. But yeah. Um, any other specific things you wanted to call it that you enjoyed? Oh man, there are so many. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to say is that Gareth Edwards, who directed this, uh, he really has only has two major movies to his credit: Rogue One, which I loved, it was incredible, and then also 2014's Godzilla, which is, in my opinion, by far the best movie in that franchise as well. Um, and and it was a movie that I came into with very low expectations, expected it to be more kind of in the Transformers universe, big thing, smashing a lot of little things, popcorn movie. Great, but Godzilla actually has a lot of emotional heft to it, and it has some interesting political commentary and uh, relationships that that you end up caring about, and and also just the absolute execution of that film, of it not seeming so ridiculous that there's a you know however many hundred foot 
tall <laughs> lizard around uh, reptile, whatever it is, smashing things. Um, he he shot it in such a way that that was more believable and and actually had stakes to it. So. Props to this dude. I, I I actually wrote, give this man the franchise. Like, he's... I've thought that before. Like, yeah. if Tony Gilroy, the writer, and Gareth Edwards just let them just do the things. Let yeah, them do why, all the things. Why is Disney giving <laughs> Ryan Johnson three movies? And I hope that deal is dying after I think the reaction. I already to did. I die, hope so. But I thought. the person you should give three movies to is Gareth Edwards, by far. Um, I love that. Uh, I liked... Uh, I, I was kind of mixed, I guess, on the the soundtrack, which was uh, done by... This is the first one that's not a John Williams score. Yeah, it's yes. done by yeah. Michael Giacchino, uh, who... So he did an amazing job with the reboot of the Star Trek films. He's also the same composer of that. And the, sure. and the theme that he wrote for that, I could hum it for you right now. I'm not going to, but it sticks in your head kind of the way that a John Williams score would. I didn't feel like he was quite as successful with this movie, although there are pieces of it that that really work. It's just that they sound a little bit too much uh, like some of the other stuff that he's done is a little bit more genericized. It part of it sounded like the way you know I don't know Robot Chicken or whatever those things that can't use the Star Wars theme, and so they use kind of the same pattern, but they change a note. That's sort of what it felt like over the main title. But I felt like a lot of the rest of the music in the entire movie really sold the the you know depth and, and emotion of those scenes. It's just it was just the opening title that I didn't care as much for. Yeah, I I didn't really. It wasn't something I noticed in terms of the opening title. I I thought some of the. Uh, the score in some of the like pivotal scenes like the when they take down the shield with the star destroyers crashing the it's kind of a a calmer it's like a very big contrast from Mm -hmm. the music Mm -hmm. to what's actually happening Mm -hmm. on screen and i kind of enjoyed that that uh contrast there the the it just worked for me. I don't know. It's a very I think it's like kind of in this kind of in the same way in eight where um, where the uh, she's jumping the light speed through the whatever that ship is called the dreadnought or, or yeah I think, it's, I think it's the dreadnought, dreadnought. and uh, and how that scene is silent uh, because it's like it's space it's silent yeah. you know and and kind of the same thing happens here where it is it's jarring in a way to the audience it's like oh we expect big loud explosion yeah and and instead they give you reflective and calm and oh my gosh look at what's happening and it, it plays really powerfully so even to then um after right after they blew up scarif and mm-hmm. they were running the plans you have that scene of mm-hmm. the planet exploded yeah mm-hmm. was there a score at all when they were doing that relay race or was it just silence and screaming mm. i think it was just silence i don't think there was music behind you mean I, the relay race on the ship yeah, on the ship yeah to, trying to get the, the plans that giant hard drive that looked like it was from the 80s <laughs> I can't remember. I'd have to. I'd have to watch it again. I don't remember music. There may have been music, but if there was, it was subtle enough that it didn't distract from anything. I else. liked that. If there was music, or wasn't music, or if there was, but it was silent, I did like the use of whatever that was there yes. to really add more weight to it. Yeah. Because sometimes the lack of music, like you said, with the scene in, in episode eight, or in that scene, if we're correctly recalling that there was mm-hmm. no music, kind of lends extra weight to I mean that's an intense enough scene on its own like you don't have to be manipulated into it by music Mm -hmm. which I think is a lot of times what people use the score for 
where it's like, well, if your movie's good enough, you can use the score for other more interesting things rather than to emotionally manipulate your audience, which I think, yeah. like the scene where they're bringing the, the shield down or the scene um, you're talking about where they're trying to get the plans away from Darth Vader, I think those are two really good examples of using the score or lack of score to be interesting and to add to the movie and not to just manipulate your audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought casting was incredibly good in this movie. Um, uh, Felicity Jones is amazing and was really great in Theory of Everything and the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie on the basis of sex. And uh, just just great acting. My one nitpick with her is that occasionally she's like just a little too posh for somebody who grew up <laughs> super, uh, you know, poor and all that, uh, you know, running for her life. Uh, also, interestingly, with with that, I felt like Forrest Whitaker is pr- probably my least favorite actor in the movie, even though he's a really great actor besides that. I thought some of his scenes were just a I little... I thought his performance was a little over the top. Yeah. Like he, was, ex- yeah. He, was really, he was really swinging for the fences. Yeah. His... yeah. The, uh, the worst line being, save the rebellion, save the dream. <laughs> no, nah, man. Even if he had just ended with save the rebellion, I might have bought it. Yeah. But like, save the dream is like, ah, I know it just went right in the trash. Um, I will say... You uh, mean you didn't have a problem with Bogalit? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that sticks in my head kind of in the same way of Houdini and those things yeah. from some of the other movies. So that I'm okay with. Uh, but yeah, some of it was... Lies! Yeah. Deception! Was a little Deception. over the top. Um, Child! Now one... Come back to me. This is both a like and a dislike for me where... Uh, I feel like the use of uh, Felicity Jones and then uh, what was the gal in in Solo? Um, what's her oh, name? Oh, uh, Amelia Clark. Amelia yes. Clark. I feel like they look a little similar, and and th- there's a couple of things within the Star Wars universe that's happening right now where um, they they look a little similar, and um, I felt like Riz Ahmed, uh, who who plays Bodhi Rook, and uh, Diego Luna, they they both look a little similar and uh, have very similar accents and so sometimes it's like just a little hard to like who are we talking about again and uh, and I actually felt a little bit bad for thinking that Riz Ahmed and Diego Luna had uh, similar accents because they're completely different uh, lineage in, in the sense that Riz Ahmed is Pakistani British uh, but Diego Luna is Mexican British and so I think it's like the Britishness of it all <laughs> is where it comes together and and they you know kind of sound similar or you're just a horrible racist <laughs> no because the white girls look too much alike too so um, the still racist <laughs> I'll see myself out now uh, I will say uh, I I heard Diego Luna give an interview where he he talked about going to this movie with his dad and uh, taking his dad, who, uh, as I mentioned, um, is from Mexico, and and uh, seeing this movie, and and seeing Diego up on the screen, he, and he said, "People like us are in this movie," and and um, just like how powerful it was that that level of inclusion in the Star Wars universe, and it's such a huge movie, um, and it felt like a real moment of arrival for both Diego and his dad in that, and and I appreciate their thoughtfulness in casting, especially because a lot of the rest of the Star Wars universe is pretty white, and um, <laughs> you know, so there there are a lot of like just so many things. I, I think as much as we complained in the prequels about how there's too much stuff stuffed into these movies. The scenes on, um, you know, it's amazing how much of this movie like just happens on Jeddah 
and, but it happens in three different places on Jutta, right? It happens in the marketplace. It happens uh, in the uh, uh, in in the in uh, what's his face's compound, Cyrus's compound, and and so they feel like different scenes, but it's actually all in the same place. Whereas George Lucas would have had them like, let's bop to another planet now and whatever. <laughs> and and I think being more constrained in those things and being more uh, just sort of circumspect about. What are we building and how many sets and how many locations allowed them to dive into better characters, better uh, effects, better music, all those things, because they, they were just more focused and constrained to what they did. Um, is there anything specifically that you did not like about this movie? Save the Dream is definitely... Save. Yeah, Sakura was, like I said, he's a little over the top. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I most of my notes about this movie are just... Total fangirling. <laughs> I, while I like the reappearance of Grand Moff Tarkin, I'm, I'm kind of split on the use of CG there. Um, I I saw a thing where they actually had him looking more realistic, even more realistic than he does in the movie, and they said it freaked out audiences, so they actually had to dial it back a bit. And I don't know really what that meant, but the uncanny valley. Yeah, they crossed thing. the uncanny valley, yeah. and and it freaked people out, um, and. So, I don't know. I like with Mon Mothma, they got a completely different actress yeah. who just looks similar. Just looks and, very similar. Yeah. Uh, and I get that it's so close to to uh, a New Hope that they kind of have had to. They they were in a box a little. Yeah, bit. I felt like they couldn't avoid having Grand Moff Tarkin in the movie. Yeah. Because of his role in A New Hope, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you're left with your options of okay, we have this technology. To basically recreate him. Yeah. Or we can get an actor that... I mean, he's got a pretty distinctive look, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like Mon Mothma's a less distinctive look mm-hmm. than Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, you basically give her the same haircut. Yeah, like same haircut. It's that other girl, right? Similar build. Yeah. Also, she's not in the other movies like a ton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's she doesn't have a huge role. So it's like, I can... Honestly, I didn't until I looked into it. I didn't even realize it was a different actress. I was just like, "Oh, she aged really well." Like you know, <laughs> yeah. I like it. I didn't even it didn't even really occur to me. But as I said before, the Grand Moff Tarkin thing was really. I was kind of shook by it. I was mm-hmm. like, "That guy has to be dead." There's no way. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he was, and they they did the CGI thing. But it would have been, I think, a glaring absence if he wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's too distinct looking, I think, to. I mean, is it is it any better if you get a different actor and literally paint his face to look like Grand Moff, Tar- Grand Moff Tarkin? Like, what's the difference at that point, right? We're talking about yeah. degrees of separation. If you basically just make a mask... I'm sure they could have physically done it, right? I'm sure they could have physically made a mask, found a guy with a similar build, and actually spent 12 hours in makeup every day to make him look that way. Yeah. But... At that point, what's the difference? I, I'm trying to remember. I think that the voice is actually the actor who's who's doing the scene. The body. Yeah, the body. The, yeah. Um, and he just practices so well that he sounds like him, if I remember right. Well, and that's fair. And like, but that's a voice is different than a face. No, I know. Right? Like you can you can you can fake a voice a lot yeah. easier. I mean, that's what you know impressionists do. Like that's yeah. you know like that's a that's a thing people do. Yeah. I. I don't think an actor, just a stand-in, would have worked. And for it to work, you're basically doing the same thing physically to his face that they ended up doing digitally to his face. Yeah. And so I, th- I just, like, what's... I know some people think that's, like, a weird moral thing because he's dead, and it's like... Yeah. 
what's if you're making him look like that anyway like what's the difference yeah he's too central of a character not even just within the movie context but the context of the whole lore sure general. yeah not have him there and, and even, even to argue against my own position here um, it would have been probably just as bad. You know, movies, I think they did it, uh, maybe not X-Men, but in some movies where it's like, oh, we're going to go see the president, and then you just see the back of the president's head, and it's like the same hairstyle as the current sitting president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, obviously you couldn't get George Bush to be in this movie, so you got a guy about the same size with gray hair uh, yeah. come to the right, you know, and, and we're good. Um, and so that would have been equally annoying. It's almost what they, it, it's like what they looked like they were doing with Leia at oh. the end. Well, they almost you, do it with Grand Moff Tarkin, too. You yeah, first see his back, uh-huh. and then he turns, and you're like, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, they went there. Oh, that's him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what really sold me on Tarkin was the reflection in the glass. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that did, but that really got, it's like, okay. It's like, I know this is CG, but it's so well done. And then I saw the reflection. I'm like, yeah. And I will say the wide shots of him are are so passable that I, I completely buy them. It's it's only when it's the close-ups on him that that you can mm-hmm. see it a little bit, and and also when he moves. Yeah, there's something the it's walk. a bit too smooth. Yeah, but again, they they said that they had to like dial that back they had a little to purposely bit. make it less realistic. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious how it will age. I wonder if we if we have this conversation five or ten years and we're like, uh, remember like it it'll feel like the prequels, except for the prequels will feel even worse. Uh, or maybe it's just like that still holds up amazingly well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll age nearly as bad as the prequels no. because that's just actually bad CGI. And hard to imagine anything aging as poorly as those. Well, right. It's just they don't, none of it looks real, right? And it yeah. never looked real. Yeah. It just never looked real. Whereas this, at least, I mean, honestly, I didn't know going into it that. A, because I, I knew very little about the movie going into it, except for basically their hey, it's the plan to steal the, it's it's the plot to steal the Death Star plans, right? Yeah. And so, I didn't know that Grand Moff Tarkin was in it. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that they used a CGI, uh, basically a CGI design to recreate the actor. Um, but so I, when I saw it at first, like I literally had to look it up later to see if that man was still alive because. Yeah. I I was convinced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't know it's CGI, like now I can see it. Now that I know it's CGI, I can see it. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, I didn't know and I For had sure. to look it up. Yeah. You know, I was like, did they just does his son look exactly like him? <laughs> yeah. Like what happened here? I did have that thought that it might be a son. I had a similar um, thought as the, well. The uh, so, well, so interestingly in that world, I had I had a bit of a problem with Vader's voice. Um, it feels it to me. It feels like James Earl Jones got a little bit older because obviously he did, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's like man, they spent so much care on making Grand Moff Tarkin and Leia believable in this movie, and and it, I felt like they should have in some way de-aged uh, his voice. I think honestly, less than the sound of his voice is more about his pacing. You know how like older people kind of just tend to talk a little slower, mm-hmm. and. And it, you, he just, Vader almost sounds just like a little bit tired in, in the movie and not quite as scary as he is in the original trilogy. trilogy. So that's, that's like, now I will say these are like nitpicks of nitpicks because I love this movie entirely. Also, they made him the scariest he's ever been in the last scene of the movie. They yes. brought the red yeah. eyes back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. was, well, not just that. So like, 
So you're there, you've got the crew, and they've mm. got the smoke, mm. and then all you hear is the, the breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh no, he's coming. Yeah. And then, lightsaber. Yeah. You want to hear something even scarier? What? So, in the con- or the lore, yeah. Darth Vader isn't really that well known. He's kind of, Palpatine's a little secret, like, people mm, might have sure. heard rumors yeah. here or there, it's like a chupacabra type of situation. <laughs> Imagine He's being, Sasquatch. <laughs> right. Imagine being those people on that ship, and then you hear this breathing you're like what's that then you see the lightsaber you're like oh shit <laughs> you're like what then is you're this dead, it's right? real yeah you're like oh no like yeah like, which makes it even more terrifying yes yeah yeah, yeah and that makes that you're right that does add a level of like what is happening to us right now and then imagine you're in the back of that line right so you're seeing him like force choke people and throw people and just slash them with the, the lightsaber <laughs> and you're like at the back of that line and you're just like what, what, what are you thinking in that moment right everybody thought all the Jedi force wielders were all dead yeah they didn't like, think there were any left at all so speaking of that uh, and this isn't neither uh, really something I liked or disliked but um, when when you meet Chirrut for the first time and uh, and and Jin asks you know if he's a Jedi and then Bae says, oh, there are no more Jedi. Uh, he's just, uh, oh, what, what's the line? Um, he says, uh, he, just, he just causes trouble or something. He's just like a zealot and a fool or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a yeah. fool, yeah. Uh, and, but if you, but he senses things with the Force. He, um, you know, and he obviously, with his scene in the end where he walks completely unharmed through a very dangerous situation, saying, I'm one with the Force and the Force is with me, uh, then... I, like, is he a Jedi? Or so, at least what we would consider to be? Jedi is a title. Uh-huh. And you have to go through the training yeah, for that. But every a... person in the galaxy, every being, has the capacity to be Force-sensitive. It's mm-hmm. just how sensitive to the Force you are. I think this is a holdover of how stupid the Jedi like organization was. Because, like, this dude... Obviously, Jedi material. Maybe not some of your other choices that you made through the first. But you also it depends on how they picked him up too, though. If they just never found him, then they never found him. Yeah. yeah well, and the other thing is, but so he was at the temple. I mean. So there's a different. That could have also been a choice by Chirrut, uh-huh. because him and Bays were keeper of the wills. Mm-hmm. Which what is that? It's basic. Think of like monks. Mm-hmm. Like sacred texts and monks, and mm-hmm. that's basically what the keepers of the wills were. Mm-hmm. So he may have chosen a religious path that's kind of the mm-hmm. context of what as the opposed to a warrior path yes. more of a okay. priest than a paladin yeah. so that he's that's how the keeper of the wills are kind of so that's why he's very he comes off as very spiritual right mm-hmm. he's got like a spiritual connection to the force whereas Jedi have more of a pragmatic connection with the force mm-hmm. like they Chirrut seems to believe in the force as an entity mm-hmm. and the Jedi, to a certain extent, believe in the Force as something that they can use, which I'm sure they wouldn't say it that way, but from your, the actions that they carry out, that's how, that's how they practically view it, is something to use in order to keep peace in the galaxy, not that the Force is the peace in the galaxy. And I think that's kind of how, I think that's the religious versus the warrior path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may just be that Chirrut chose that path okay. mm-hmm. as a basically a religious as a as his religion basically mm-hmm. um, because there is that aspect of the force and the uh, that we haven't and even the Jedi I think there is I think you would find that and I don't know this for sure and I haven't gone back into the legend stuff at all but 
I think you would find at the very beginning of the Jedi that they were essentially one, both the religious path and the practical path. Mm. I think they were more monk-like at their start, the Jedi were. Mm. And then there was a divergence of the religious path versus the practical or Mm. uh, warrior path, if you will. Mm. I think they're... I think if you would go all the way back, you would... Because there are temples, right? There's Mm -hmm. temples and there's text and they're called the Jedi temples. They're not just called the Force temples, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you would have a convergence, if you go far enough back, of both, you know, the the keepers of the wills and the Jedi. But at some point, it appears that Mm -hmm. they chose to view the Force differently or at least use their force sensitivity differently. Practice it differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was, Speaking of Chariot, there was actually one piece of his that I didn't like. He, he uh, you know, walks that line of, of being sagey and awesome like the Oracle in, in The Matrix and then a little bit like cheeseball. Uh, when, when they're in the Saw's compound, he says... There's more than one sort of prison. I sense that you carry yours wherever you go. And I was like, ah, that's a little on the nose for... Uh, Ooh, I, don't know, I liked it. I was. I, I, I liked that one. Okay. I like that, like that whole scene. I like the scene where... I like the prison line. I like the part where Baze is making fun of him for praying. And he says it bothers him because he knows it's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I like that whole it's scene. Like, I was, I was in on that. I like most of it. I, I didn't care for that line in particular. Uh, and actually, so something else that I had... I agree that it was a little on the nose, but I think it worked. Yeah, and... And I will say that I, I, I'm i trying to deconstruct my lens through which I, I view Star Wars. I remember when uh, my wife and I watched Star Wars. She had never really seen them all the way through um, until after we were married. And so one night we sat down and watched, I think, the first two. And then we watched the third the next day. And the real original three. <laughs> um, she had never seen the prequels until this year. And uh, But anyway... Uh, Afterwards, I was like, what do you think? And she goes, good. A little cheesy. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and then, But then you go back and you actually look at some of the stuff. And yeah, maybe there's a little bit of schmaltz to Star Wars. And that's just part of what it is. So while I don't particularly love that line from Chirrut, it's it's not out of the realm of what this universe actually well, is. Well, I also think, okay, it might be just a tad on the nose, but within the context of who he is, mm-hmm. I think it works for his character. He, right? he does have a Yoda-ish vibe where you can say some stuff like that. Yeah, that you can get a, he can get away with more than if, like, if Baze has said it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Where, where I just don't think that would have worked. Yeah. But, or say even if Jin, if Jin had said it, you know, yeah, that's, like, yeah, that's true. That you might be out of prison, but you still carry a prison in your mind, or yeah. whatever. Like that would have been super cheesy, mm-hmm. but it made sense when she. If they had given it to Saw, it would have just pushed his character way. Lies. <laughs> uh, so another thing, I, I don't, I don't know if I don't like it, but I am very confused by it. And maybe the two of you can help me out. Is can the Death Star fly upside down? What's upside down in space? Well, I understand that. I, I get that. However, if you are in... So I'm, I'm willing to buy artificial gravity inside, all that. But when it's flipping over at some point, like, do the people... Do they experience being flipped upside down? Even just for, like, a minute. And it's like, okay, now down is up and we're cool. It's got to be on a gyroscope, right? I don't know. But Ooh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I, I would imagine. That the that inside is not yeah. connected to the outside. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense. I would buy that because yeah. because otherwise, 
you're on the ship. It's like a shell that kind of yeah, just like yeah, floats yeah. around the inside. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't know how that would work because the laser is a <laughs> structure connected. Like it's all one component. That's my thing. Is is that that actually gives me a little bit of trouble in this film. I'm not necessarily totally against it, but it just seems like how do you get the thing and everybody's standing inside of it and it turns upside down and everybody's still cool uh, without without their feeling like something pretty dramatic happened and you got to get used to it for a minute or or does that happen it's like hey I'm going with gyroscope and yeah. artificial gravity what's your thought on that I think it doesn't matter <laughs> I mean I like I like I, that's one of the things that I've I've realized by doing some of these uh, Star Wars podcasts mm-hmm. with you it's just like there's certain things that you care about that I just couldn't care less about like, it just doesn't, like, okay, maybe they make an announcement on the Death Star. Uh, we're about to do a 180-degree turn. Please uh, adjust yourselves accordingly. Gravity will restore to normal levels in four minutes. You the know, like, Death Star does have handrails. Maybe that's what that is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just don't care. But, uh, well, so, but, I mean, we grew up for, for so long with A New Hope and Jedi, and, and every time you've ever seen the, the Death Star... The, the satellite dish thing is on the what we would understand to be the top half. Sure. And then in this movie, all of a sudden, there's just like, just getting it flips. And, I, like, I thought about it. And that's that's one of those things that can kind of take you out of a movie where it's just like, they put that upside down. Can they do that? And then, you you know, you start kind of going through the Or maybe it didn't flip. Went. It's just the camera angle that flipped. Maybe everything is still... <laughs> at that same level it's space I will say space is messed up in that space way. is messed up um, but yeah the camera so we're upside down looking I, at I it. could see them doing that to try to spice it up because we've all seen the Death Star from one angle and it looks cool upside down it does. I'm actually I really enjoy that piece of it but it was confusing to me yeah, I just, I don't care. There's some physicist li- listening right now who's just like, these guys are idiots. It's so easy to... It's I have an associate's yeah. degree, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think you're overestimating the reach of my podcast in the scientific community, but... For um, now. For <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, I just, there's certain things where I'm just like, it's Star Wars, it's, you know, it's fake. I don't, I don't need to know the intricacies of the onboard internal gravitational field of the Death Star. I just don't care. When uh, when Krennic is fighting with Grand Moff Tarkin over, well, ver- arguing with yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin over the uh, over the Death Star, it's like, it's right after that scene actually, and they uh, and he he yells that it's his machine. He goes, "My machine, my achievement." I, he says, "My achievement." Oh, my achievement! Yeah. I heard my machine because it reminds me of of this scene For in Scrubs. Scrubs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where it's like the it's the, the the MRI guy, yeah, the, the, the X-ray tech or whatever. Yeah. Like, this is my machine, my machine. <laughs> yeah, no, he says my achievement. Oh, okay. So, I seriously heard the word machine. I wrote the word machine because it was so it was so similar. In my yeah, head. he goes, "We stand here, and it's my achievement." That's the meme too. So yeah, you should just know. Oh, that. is it? Yeah, that's a meme. Come I, on, I'm apparently not Come on. on my memes. I uh, speaking of memes uh, that came out very timely for this podcast. Have you seen the one where? It's uh, Obi Wan holding uh, Anakin back from yelling, oh. and then and then Yoda's making the face like the cat. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's really funny. Have you seen it, Robbie? Uh-uh. I will pull it up. For That's you right super now. funny. Maybe I'll post it with this episode. Um, <laughs> all right. So any uh, 
I didn't really, I mean, honestly, I really didn't have any nitpicks. I thought it was a great movie. And it's my favorite Star Wars movie. I don't have any. Nearly I, everything I wrote down was, I, I, I wrote either so great or awesome. <laughs> That's an incredible meme. <laughs> I wrote. Also really speaks to the angstiness of, of Anakin. <laughs> it does. Is that just a man? Him as that woman makes just perfect sense. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. 100%. Especially because the original is from Real Housewives, and yeah. that, that's exactly Anakin right there. Uh, no, what do I, you mean I'm not a master? <laughs> <laughs> on, on the council you are, but a master you are not. Um, <laughs> some Yoda hissing. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. I, I wrote the words, like, great or incredible so many times in this movie and pretty much never in, in any of the prequels. Um, I, one special thing that I wanted to call out as, as amazing was uh, when when Krennic visits, that very opening scene is so good, and it just establishes this world. You get the Death Troopers for the first time in the entire Star Wars universe. That terrifying, by the way. Yeah, who look who so So bad. menacing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you get this planet that's different from what you've seen, uh, but it's not terribly CG. It's, like, really real. And uh, But anyway... Krennic reminds me of the the guy in the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. the the Nazi guy who's like so nice and so polite for I, I think it seems like 20, 30 minutes. It's mm-hmm. I mean it's really long. It's, is that Christopher Waltz? That, that is Christopher, Christopher yeah. Waltz. Yeah, yeah. and and, um, and and he's so polite. You're a hard man to find, but really a man of your talents. And it must be lonely since Lyra died. Oh oh, my condolences. Search the house, and then like he turns so immediately into the Nazi-ish figure that you you assume that he is. Yeah. You, and part of that's wardrobing and costuming, and the and all of the the effects just through that scene. It just really sets you up for this world of like, oh my gosh, I'm in. Like I'm buckled up for wherever this is going, uh, because he's so he's just that the kind of special evil where where you're just like, oh maybe he is being nice. Oh no no, he's evil. Yeah, he's really he's uh, I guess slimy is the, like he's very mm-hmm. he's very conniving and even later in that scene like you almost get the feeling like Lyra I don't want to have to shoot you like let's yeah let's relax no of course not I'm taking you all you'll all come you your yeah, child you live, live in, in comfort. comfort yeah it's like you'll be very well paid yeah. and yeah but then you know it just shoots her without or has the death trooper shooter just without second thought yeah and similarly in that scene uh, he goes they have a child find it he says it to the child and I, um, I you know he, he may not probably know the, doesn't know the gender he may not know the or gender maybe of the child he's using it as a way to take away yeah, it the does. The fact it, that it's a child. Yeah. It, it like yeah. dehumanizes yes. the child yeah. by by not assigning it. He 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 views it as a liability, not as a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that like just, eliminate the liability. Just those little choices just give so much to. Oh, this guy is evil, and you know won't even refi- refer to a child with using her human terminology. Mm-hmm. That was that was interesting. <sighs> Nick, do you have any nitpicks? I don't have any nitpicks, but any I, have, I have some more praise. I have some more praise. Oh, I'm all for it. Let's hear. It. <laughs> so, how familiar are you guys with the animated shows? Not. Uh, I've read much. a lot of Wikipedia's. I haven't watched any of it. All right. The thing I love the most about Rogue One, I didn't actually get to watch the animated shows growing up because I thought it was stupid. <laughs> I went to college and I actually caught up on everything. Yeah. Uh, they make so many references and tie so many things up in these movies 
that were brought up originally in the animated shows. Okay. And it's not like you need to see these shows to, to understand see the what the tie-ups are, yeah. but they did such a good job of sneaking in some things that tied up some stuff. Uh, Saw Gerrera, yeah. he was first in Clone Wars. Right. And then Rebels is when he was really, like, the extremist leader. He was ready to kill, like, straight-up children and stuff <laughs> when they met him. Yeah. And they were on Jeddah. That's when they discovered the Death Star. Saw knew about the Death Star. Yeah. And that's why I think he was always so urgent and pressed. And then he had this issue where we're not sure what happened. I don't think maybe comics explain it, but where he was all... <gasps> wheezy. All wheezy. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's half machine, so that's kind of what... But I mean, he wasn't like that when they met him in Rebels, so something oh, happened. Interesting. So I made a mistake earlier. Rebels is 15 years after episode three. Okay. Um, so something happened. Is that about halfway? It's about halfway. It's 20 years is when... I was it's more than halfway. You're oh, almost okay. to the end there, because it's... I think it's 19 years between oh, three about, yeah, and yeah. four, I think, is 19 years, Luke, I think, is canon. Luke and the main character in Rebels were born on the same day. Oh, okay. around the same time. Yeah. He might be a little older. But, yeah, so... Saw is this really well-fleshed-out character, but if you've only seen him in Rogue One, you wouldn't really... Appreciate Appreciate that, that yeah. as much. So, you saw him with his sister in Clone Wars. She got super killed. He watched <laughs> it happen. They were, like, a partner for yeah. a team. Yeah. And they started out as, like, a little, like, mischief-running crew. Sure. And then he grows to have this giant, like, extreme syndicate. Yeah. And that was really dope. Um, right before they take off to go to Scarif, mm-hmm. uh, you, over the intercom, you hear Captain Sindula to the hangar, Captain Sindula to the hangar. That's one of the characters from Rebels. She's the main pilot in Rebels. Oh, it's like a little Easter egg for the Rebels fans? That's cool. Um, At one point, you see R2-D2 and the droid from Rebels with each other hanging out. Uh, Rebels, toward the end, they do a nod to Clone Wars as well because it's all felony stuff. Right. Where they explain why Ahsoka wasn't helping them with Scarif and all this other stuff because she was in some weird... They did. They fucked with time. They didn't have to. <laughs> but they explain why Ahsoka wasn't there, and that, and that ties it even to the movie. Yeah, it's they did so many cool things where all these little threads got kind of wrapped up, and they're like, why isn't that oh, okay? Sure. Or oh, oh, that makes sense now more into the show, and it makes you appreciate the show better. For sure. Which is weird because these shows came out like, well, Clone Wars came out like ten years. Yeah. Before this movie did. Well, maybe more. I think it was more, like 2008. I think it was uh, the Clone Wars movie. Are you talking about the movie or the show? It's the same thing. The, the movie just, came out. In the movie's essentially... Or, no. Because there's a movie and then there's a series, right? The animated, After, I'm talking about the animated series. Just the, sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the animated series, I think, was like 2008. The movie was before that. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the animated yeah, series. Yeah, sorry. Okay. But just all these things that they set up, like, in that even, right. that led up to Rogue One, and it all just kind of came together. That was a journey for people like me. Sure. And I'm jealous of the people who were watching Clone Wars, the show, while it was airing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then that's even more of a payoff and build up for them. I just caught up during college. <laughs> and these people were waiting for this. For sure. So that adds even more to this movie. Um, any other praise or things that you really liked about this one? Uh... Everything. It's just everything. Wait, wait. Um, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. The emotion that made me feel for a robot is that very first... That's what I was about to say. Sure. We've barely talked about K2. K2, SO. Dude, I love K2. Like I mentioned earlier, I was crying from the very start of the first death. Mm. That was K2. Because mm. in my brain, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. He's, 
everybody's going yeah, down. It's like he's not like, in. He's not in. Then like I should have. I just connected all those dots. I should have known. But it's like, oh no. And then they did such a great job of humanizing this android. Yeah. Like I started to cry with him, and I'm like, I'm stupid. I'm crying for this. <laughs> and then I'm bawling like a baby, even up until the end when they show Leia, which was a surprise. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. When I saw it, I saw it after it had been out in theaters for a bit, and. It was recently after Carrie Fisher had died. Oh, oh man. Jeez. So that was still a very fresh wound. Me and the girl I was with both bawling. <laughs> and that was after all this other shit just went down. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> God, I left that movie and I needed, like, I was dead. Have you ever seen a movie where you're like brain dead for a solid 12 hours after you uh-huh. saw yeah, it? Just oh, like yeah. draining. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what that movie was for me. Yeah. It was. Mm, I love this movie. It's still my second favorite, but I love it. What's your first favorite? You don't want to know. No, seriously, I need to know that. Revenge of the Sith. Get out. Get out. Uh, no, but K2, uh, played by Alan Tudyk, who I loved as Wash and so, Firefly. Leaf in the Wind. And uh, he was, uh, I didn't know this, I looked up his IMDb. He was Sunny and iRobot. Uh, oh yeah! There you go. I, that, wow. uh, and then also, a good robot. My He's other super good robot. My other uh, film reference from him was that he was Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball. Yep. Uh, which is a completely well, not a completely different role because he's pretty silly in this role as well, but uh, pretty different <laughs> from his role in Firefly. Uh, all all great turns. He's been in over a hundred movies and he's a prominent voice actor I guess so he's in a ton of stuff he's done so many video games Um, where it's his voice oh and that reminds me of things that have been in a ton of movies so this was the first movie this is nerdy and deep but uh, it was the first movie without the Wilhelm scream in it do you guys know what the Wilhelm scream is Uh, so it's this scream that was recorded in the 1950s and it's used in all of the uh, Star Wars movies and all of the um, Indiana Jones films except for Rogue One and Episode 8 however they they started basically their own Wilhelm scream in uh, in Rogue One, and I'm pretty sure they, they kind of like let you find it on your own. They, they haven't pointed out what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's when uh, Jin pulls the, the stormtrooper off the platform when she's climbing up uh, to see her dad uh, when they're on Edu. And uh, she she pulls him off, and he does that. Ah! And it, I think it's the new that's the new Wilhelm scream <laughs> that they sneak into. I think it's it's kind of hidden. Um, kind of wish they would have kept the original, just because that is a weird tradition that Star Wars has had. Yeah, it's in every single movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think they've used that same one now in in two movies at least. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about K two S O. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I thought for a movie that's pretty heavy for a lot of it in terms of just the tone of the movie mm-hmm. I thought the I thought K2SO provided the exact perfect amount of comic Absolutely. relief oh for sure yes. was never over the top I didn't yeah. think was incre- just incredible they do a yeah. great job of explaining why K2SO is, is like that in terms yeah. of yeah. the reprogramming and everything like that and again I love that it's just a quick throwaway line that it explains it, you accept it, and you move on. You don't have to go into like, oh, the wiring went bad in this specific fashion. <laughs> yeah. and That's another great example of showing and not telling. Yeah. You can tell yeah. he was an Imperial droid, and yeah. then you see the other ones there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And the, um, I really appreciated just the, again, in a, in a pretty dark movie, mm-hmm. I don't, when I watch it, I don't feel like it's that dark because K2SO is just 
is just the perfect amount of levity in the entire film that yeah. it doesn't feel heavy when I'm watching it yeah. until I think back about what I actually watched. And I'm yeah. like, woof. Uh, until the end, you know, where everybody dies. But, um, <laughs> like, oh, I've been traumatized. <laughs> I, I love at the end, it's everybody dies and then more people are slaughtered. You know, it's, right? it's really heavy at and the And then um, I also just really appreciate, I really like the relationship between Jin and K2SO. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just really fun in the way it kind of develops. And also, you're right, man. When, when K2SO like locks the doors and pounds mm-hmm. on the console and mm-hmm. then gets like shot and killed, like that's just, that's brutal, Gnarly. man. Yeah. And yeah, I've never, ever cared about a droid that much. <laughs> you know, it's like, I and really, I know you can't survive, but maybe. <laughs> versus versus the droid, I, know, I don't even remember her name, in Solo, uh, who goes too far, in my opinion, is over the top with the, the humor. We mentioned um, that, uh, Nick did the Solo one with me, where mm-hmm. we liked L3, but there were a couple times where it was just like a lit, they like went to the well just a couple too many times. Yeah, and, it, and, and it especially was, she was too human- for being a droid. Well, I didn't mind the human part of it. I just felt like, okay, so Solo is a lighter movie, mm-hmm. so you didn't need that as much totally. as you do with mm-hmm. K2, yeah. where I I liked a lot of the things about L3. I thought it was a really compelling character. Uh, I just didn't need... I didn't need the sass all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and also the robot uprising was a little much for me. But see, I was in on the uh, robot. Uh, <laughs> rebellion was good. <laughs> uh, but about K2, though... Um, one of his first funny scenes when uh, when he and Jen are talking and, and she, her justification for not wanting him there, she's like, you know, half the people want to reprogram you, the other half want you, you uh, want to put a hole in your head. And then he's, I'm, su- I'm surprised you're so concerned with my safety. And she says, I'm not. I'm just worried that they'll miss you and hit me. And that's usually where that joke ends. And it's funny the way it is. And then, But then he just mutters. He goes, doesn't sound so bad to me. <laughs> and then the way that he drops the bag that she just handed him. Right? Like, and it, like that was what took him to that next level of being a memorable and great character, which obviously isn't just Alan Tudyk. It's it's not just the writer. It's also the director. Like everything. That's such a perfect picture. There's so many like just encapsulated moments throughout this entire movie of like, oh, the care they put into every scene to make it great mm-hmm. um, especially coming especially coming out of the prequels I was just like oh thank you finally one that's just not terrible to watch but another thing I'd like to bring up is they did a great job of explaining why the rebellion seemed like it was so scrappy in episode four because they took their whole fleet to Scarab and a lot of a lot of it died yeah. ships got destroyed yeah. like yeah. completely destroyed speaking, speaking of which when Vader's Star Destroyer shows up while the other ships are trying to make the jump to hyperspeed and uh, they and the one ship just kind of like bonks right into it and, <laughs> and it falls off it's like watching somebody get rejected by Dikembe Mutombo or something <laughs> like um, it's like but it's so serious but it's also like a little it's like bit a funny. little funny but and it's like an it's like a it's like oh crap moment but then it's, it's also just like a little funny yeah yeah yeah, no, that was... Uh, I agree with the the point about... It makes a lot more sense why it's such like... It feels like such a small insurgency. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, they lost a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. people at Scarif. And that was another cool thing about Rebels, too. Because Rebels is about building the rebellion. And you sure. see it going from, like, this group... Or a bunch of different groups to it being a more organized thing under Mon Mothma. 
And then one of the episodes of Rebels is actually them taking a bunch of the ships. They stole it from an Imperial scrapyard. Sure. And they are the ones who brought most of those ships mm. to the Rebellion. So it's like you see them do all this work in the show, mm-hmm. and then you see all the work get undone pretty much. Yeah. In a matter of, what, ten minutes? But mm-hmm. all for the payoff of getting the Death Star plans. Right. So, worth so it. So that's what I'm talking about, yeah. how it all connecting. Like, even this group of people in this cartoon had a major role sure. in making or the success of the Rebellion and getting these plans. Yeah, I like it. Nice. One, one minor nitpick I have is that Jin, in a relatively short time, goes from not caring about politics and the Empire and all of that kind of stuff to she's the one who ends up making the real call to arms. Uh, I'm back on Yavin 4, and I, it was just like such a reversal. I, I bought it, and I'm okay with it, but... Um, well, it so was kind I, of dramatic. I would, Somebody called her out on that, didn't they? After that, or am I? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, yeah. So Cassian has a a line where he says, you know, some of us can't pick and choose when we want to care about things. You know, I've been in this fight since I was six years old, and so I, I listen. I thought I bought it for a couple reasons. Number one, I thought that her insistence that she didn't care was a pretty bad front. That's true. Um, you know, when she says, when she's talking to uh, the to Dra- Draven, and she's like, I, you know, I like to think my dad's dead. It makes it easier. Like, to me, that's very As clearly. As if that were ever easy. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, that's very clearly just like, a, oh, I'm tough. I don't care mm-hmm. about anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a mentality she's had to take on to survive. Mm-hmm. I think she's probably, it looked like she grew up with Saw Gerrera. Like, I think she's <laughs> always cared about the cause. Mm-hmm but has become so focused on her own survival yeah. that she just hasn't had the opportunity to the opportunity to express that and then once she sees not only is her father alive but he's been working against this machine against this not just the death star but the machine of the empire for all of this time raging against the machine if you will yes <laughs> since galen has been raging against the machine um I think it just reawakens everything that was already in her. Yeah, I mean... That's yeah, how I that's, took it. That's fair. I, I also liked that it didn't work. Uh, in Cassian, you know, his, his line right after that was, they were never going to believe you. I do. I believe you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that I like that, that the, at least it, other people had problems with that. Kind of like you were saying, she got kind of called out on it. It's like, well, why should we trust you? You're, you know, a, a criminal five minutes ago. And I did like it. It's just... Um. Yeah, it, it was it was one of those things that kind of walked that. I just that think line. you're underestimating the effect that her father. That's had true. On that, her. Yeah, that was that was a really to me that was a compelling enough reason to bring her back into the fold in mm-hmm. terms of assuming she was working with Sagarera, you know, doing some of his rebel nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that worked. I didn't have an issue with that. Uh, one more thing I'd like to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. Tension. The movie was absolutely great at mm-hmm. applying tension. Yes. To the, uh, when they're on that. Uh, planet that base, um, Edu. Edu is that the one where Gamer it's like is? raining? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So when yeah. they're there, they did a great job of like having the sniper looking, and then the other one sneaking up and being like, ah, it's like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. and then suddenly it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> it is an audio medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I agree. The tension in the movie is very well paced, and I also appreciated that. Again, whether it's K2SO or there were 
there were some moments where they gave you a break mm-hmm. from the tension mm-hmm. because there's some movies that just like apply the atten- the tension the entire time and like you come up and you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. I, I like that they gave you just a little bit of okay, here's here's where you come up for air, here's where you come up for air, and then you, uh, but you still have the overall the the I guess. I don't know if thriller is the right word, but you have the overall um, tone of the movie stay intact, but you don't have to experience it in the same way that, like, the characters are, because yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes that's stressful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, uh, speaking of tension, I love that in this movie they got back to sneaking around and using disguises, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, in 4, 5, 6 is, is so uh, prominent of them. You know, we're rebels, and we're not supposed to be here, and so they look the part. And so when they're walking through... Uh, is uh, is it the Death Star they're walking through? No, they're not. Um, oh, is it on Scarif? They're going to that base. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're on Scarif. Yeah. Um, when they're walking through and they're disguised and oh, to get the plants. Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, uh, and then also, um, and they make K two uh, basically cannibalize that other droid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just all of those things like are such great moments that. Um, you know, I feel like Ryan Johnson completely missed that in episode eight where they don't really dress up. They just show up on a casino planet and they like look like themselves and they, mm-hmm. hey, you can't park there. And like, they're just like, they're just showing up and crashing the party. And it's like, no wonder you got caught. No wonder you got noticed. I mean, we'll uh, get to this, but the entire casino storyline is an abomination. The worst. So. The worst. <laughs> oh, do you, would you like to add it to your, you know, Revenge of the Sith favorite? Get out of here. No. <laughs> I didn't hate Casino Planet. I thought it was good world building. Yeah, but what, it, it just brings you nothing to the story. I know. Like, literally nothing. Because the one thing you're going there for doesn't work anything. They don't even get the guy. That, <laughs> you just get nothing out of that 40 minutes of the movie. It was a heavy-handed metaphor for the rich being or making money no matter what they do. I get that, and that was a terrible, like, that, was a, that was a terrible thing to just wedge into the movie. Yeah. Especially we'll, get to, we'll get yeah. to episode yeah, eight yeah, later. That's true. I can't do it. I can't stop it. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's I think about all I had on Rogue One. Anybody else have any thoughts? I so when they bring Leia in on on the end, yeah, um, and I remember being so worried that it's like don't screw this up right here. Um, just uh, like what could she possibly say and uh, and it's like, so they said what is it that they brought us and she just said one word and she says hope hmm. and then the next movie is, is a new hope and hope has been a theme throughout this right. movie yeah you know, uh, rebellions thought, are built on uh, hope yeah mm-hmm. um Save the dream. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. I thought the way that that was... Deception! <laughs> I thought the way that that was delivered, uh, it, it justified her existence in that scene. I also like how it was kind of set up with uh, Jimmy Smith's, um, or Senator Organa, saying that he had to go back to Alderaan, and Mon Mothma was, was uh, talking about your Jedi friend, obviously talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, mm-hmm. and then and then she says, we're going to need some help, and, she, and uh, Organa ends up saying, I trust her, her with my life, um, and, and obviously referring to Leia, and uh, I just, yeah, like all that paid off so well for me, and this entire movie is... It's setups and payoffs, and even what you talked about with K two and Jin's relationship, kind of mirroring uh, Cassian and Jin's relationship, sure. where like nobody trusts it, but then by the end, giving everything for her, um, 
just, I mean, this movie is so incredibly well made. And um, I think a testament to that, I, wa- I watched this one with my wife as well. And uh, she was gone for the first, you know, probably a half hour or so of the movie. And she came in the door. And as usually when I'm watching Star Wars, when she's gone, I'll pause it. And, you know, we'll talk about what she went to do, whatever. And, and then I'll usually end up turning it off and we'll watch This Is Us or something. <laughs> um, because that's what married life is. And uh, so I started doing that. And she goes, no, you can watch it. And I was like, I know it's for the podcast, but I can, I'll find another time. And, and she's, she said, no. I like this one. And, and I was like, oh, that, to me, that's like an objective standard of that this movie is actually good, kind of to your question mm-hmm. earlier. It's good on its own. It's it's just a great movie. It's got a compelling arc, compelling characters, good humor. Uh, the cinematography was beautiful. The music is good. I mean, the my little tiny nitpicks with this movie... I'm fine with, you know, it's like I will totally accept as just tiny wrinkles in an otherwise perfect tapestry. Uh, I, it's such a great movie. I, I'm done fangirling now. But. <laughs> this movie really is the perfect bridge movie. Like, that's why I felt in our solo podcast that solo seemed kind of unnecessary. Sure. I think Rogue One did a really good job of connecting the prequels to the original series. Uh, they, like I had mentioned earlier, they tied up and wrapped up and referenced a lot of stuff from the prequels in that era. Sure. But then they also explained and expanded on a bunch of stuff from the original trilogy. It's a great binder. The only, the only way it's a bad bridge movie is that it made me wish that the prequels were entirely different. <laughs> because, it, I mean, it was just so well made in every way. It was like, oh, this is the prequel we deserve as fans. You know? Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it, this is worth paying for. This is what... I would also pay an unimaginable amount of money to see a prequel or just a movie in general of, like, Darth Vader in his prime where he is just like... Yeah. Comics. Read the comics. I know, but I want to see it. No, yeah. you see it in the comics. No, but I want to see it. <laughs> this is the problem with the extended universe. The people. They're like, really oh, we good. got what we wanted. And it's like not a bad no, I, cartoon is but that's not what, what I want. I would take... I would love... I'm, I'm aware of the Darth Vader comic line. I would love them to just make a movie about the Darth Vader comic line. Like, use the same storylines, whatever. Like, I'm cool with that. I just want Darth Vader just being just this unholy terror for and in, at least give me at least one movie <laughs> same with the Darth Maul movie that I really want is it yeah it, it just feels like it would build out this universe in a really interesting way I'm just not sure what else they could do with Darth Maul in that movie because you have his whole storyline again cartoons but his whole storyline is in <laughs> all of those cartoons yeah Darth Maul I understand because end. there's a right. lot more of him in the uh, in the series, in the cartoon series, and, and that type of thing. I, was, I need to watch the cartoons. I guess but they are really good. There's you need. Everybody needs more Darth Vader in their life. <laughs> like that's. I think a lot of people would argue that. I think well, a lot only of the, the Jedi, people, only the, the younglings. <laughs> do they want more Darth Vader? <laughs> I think that's, that's your favorite movie, bro. <laughs> Well, I that's, think that's on you. I think the murder of younglings is as good a place to end as any. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> remember, we will have episode four, A New Hope, coming out on Wednesday. And uh, you can always subscribe, rate, and review to Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find us on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula, Instagram, and, twi- and Twitter, at R.A. Lula, or on the website, RaviLulaRadio.com Nick, Raj, 
Thank you so much, and we will see you on Wednesday. <laughs>